Welcome to Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. I'm your host, Tim Friedman. Rock and roll expert Frank Austin and I have had so much fun bringing the first four seasons to you. I'm going to take a little break here and give you a highlight reel of season four this week. And we thank you so much for your downloads and your listenership. Spotify, Amazon, iTunes, iHeart, wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to our podcast, which has been on for the last year plus. John Mellencamp kicks off season five next week, Valentine's Day. In the meantime, enjoy our highlight reel of season four, Tim Friedman's 70s Rock Conversations. Today in rock history, January 31st, 1957, Decca Records announced that Rock Around the Clock, you know, Bill Haley and the Comets, had sold over a million copies in the UK, mostly in the 10-inch 78. Oh, really? I didn't know they did that, but I guess they did. Still in the 78s. 1969, Bobby Darin walked off the stage on the Jackie Gleason show when he wasn't allowed to perform the song Long Line Rider. Maybe because Jackie couldn't pronounce the tongue twister of the title, but <laughs> maybe. 1970, Grateful Dead were busted. Imagine that. Hard to believe. In New Orleans, <laughs> for possession of LSD and barbiturates, the event is believed to have been the inspiration for their song, Truckin'. Okay, yeah, that's right. 1979, The Clash performed at their very first North American tour engagement opening act, Bo Diddley. Wow, what a pairing that is. wonder if he came on stage with The Clash afterwards. Doubtful. Doubtful. Barbara Council, 1985, the mom of the Councils and the inspiration for the TV show Partridge Family, passed away at just 56 years old. I was going to say she must have been very young. On that date, 1985. Three years later, Herb Alpert played the national anthem at Super Bowl XXII. That was Washington and Denver. The highlight of the Super Bowl for the Broncos was the performance from Herb Alpert because the, 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 the game wasn't <laughs> very good for them. It ended at 42-10. to 10. Chubby Checker, the halftime entertainment. Good grief. That was an interesting pairing. Um, it was just before they kind of ditched the Mike Curb congregation and up with people and, yep. and the local um, uh, Al Hurt type of stuff mm-hmm. in New Orleans and in favor of Michael Jackson and bigger bigger shows, a bigger Yeah, stage. much bigger yeah. Were, were to come. Yes. Definitely. All right, so highlights of season four. It's a good season, wasn't it, Frankie? Absolutely. One of the things we brought was the pop versus rock, pop versus psych. That was a fun category, wasn't it? Yeah, it definitely is, and um, you know, it's it's a lot of a lot of fun to see that back in that day where you had two songs that were totally polar opposites, and they were right next to each other on the chart. Right next to each other. Exactly. Sometimes one after another after another. We found case after case of that. Yeah, and th- and that's how the DJs played them, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could be listening to Jimi Hendrix on one song and then listening to some, you know, uh, Lord's Prayer by the Singing Nun. You <laughs> yeah, know? that's true. Now, a uh, station like Wixie, maybe even CKLW, but I know Wixie kind of, Push some of the songs that were longer or real rockers or out there like uh, My Ding-A-Ling to, <laughs> <laughs> to late night, early, early morning. Right, right. Uh, So you wouldn't always hear that song after that song, even though it would appear on their top 40 survey at the end of the week. Sure. And certainly uh, Casey Kasem wasn't yet doing his AT40, so you wouldn't hear it. But you certainly saw it in the Billboard Hot 100. Boy, you sure did. Or on the CKLW or WKYC surveys or Wixie. Yeah, uh, people may not remember, but back in the day, whenever you walked into literally a dime store or, you know, even your butcher, they had a stack of the uh, latest weekly, like WKYC yeah. or Wixie countdown. Yeah, and it'll have a little it was caricature. It fun to of, pick them up. <laughs> <laughs> have a little caricature of Larry Morrow or Chuck Dunaway That's or Mike right. Ranieri and exactly. maybe a little ad in the bottom. And 
uh, bubbling under songs or albums. It was it was fun to get a hold of. I still have a few of them myself. Yeah, that's neat. And I see them all the time on uh, like uh, Pinterest. So I and I always look. I can't help but look and see what what week it is. <laughs> yeah. On September 9th, 1967, the number nine song was Jay and the Techniques and Apples, Peaches, Pumpkin Pie. <laughs> I remember it well. Oh, my goodness. And number 10 was San Francisco Nights, Eric Burden and the Animals. Remember the warm San Francisco Nights? I'll tell 10. you, how could a, a record be more psychedelic than to be released in the summer of love <laughs> yeah. and to be about San Francisco? I yeah. mean, that's just exactly... That's the definition of psychedelic right yeah, there. Yeah, everybody loved San Francisco back then, didn't they? Absolutely. In fact, the the uh, love letter to the city uh, urged European residents to save up all their bread and fly Translove Airlines to San Francisco, USA. Translove Airlines? To, yes, so that they could understand the song for the sake of their own peace of mind. One of the categories that I really liked was the two should get in. Mm-hmm. Mine is B-52s, American New Wave Band from Athens. Not Ohio, but Athens, Georgia. Georgia, Maybe okay. that explains the link of Rock Lobster. Exactly. Party Out of Bounds, Private Idaho, Love Shack, Legal Tender. You can hear the songs in your mind as I'm saying these from the B-52s, Planet Claire. These are all good time party rock and roll tunes. Very much. New Wave, good time party band, a in 1980, John Lennon called this group his favorite band, specifically cited Rock Lobster as his inspiration to start returning to the studio again. Okay. That's, I didn't realize that. I either. think for that alone, they should at least get some consideration. Check out these other new wave punk bands that are already in. Talking Heads, The Clash, The Ramones, and Blondie. So mm-hmm. I think they're in the same class. I think they are deserving of nomination, at least, the B-52s. Absolutely. Rock Hall. Sure. And you have a good one, don't you? Yeah. Um, well, this goes uh, back to uh, one of my favorite groups, and that's the police. Uh, and this is uh, the leader of said police, Mr. Sting. Ah, Gordon Sumner. Exactly. Now, not only was Sting the creative force behind the police, but he also had had a stellar solo career. Ten top 20 singles and an amazing 12 top 20 albums. Uh, he has sold up to 70 million albums and singles worldwide. And that's not the wow. police. That's just that's him. That's just him. I had no idea. Exactly. This is something we'll bring back every year. We may have the same songs or we may change it up a little bit. Our top 10 rockin' Christmas songs. Oh, yeah, definitely. So um, we're going to have a little highlight of the our, each of our top five in our highlight package for season four. But we had... Um, 10 to 6 one week, and then the following week, which was the Thursday before Christmas, I think is when it aired, yeah. was 5 until number 1. My number 1 was Greg Lakes, uh, I believe, in Father Christmas. That's a terrific one. And, and yours of course, was? mine was The Boss. Oh, uh, The Boss. Uh, you know, Santa Claus is coming to town. You know how many times I heard that, and I listened to one of the <laughs> hit stations in town once. Really? Yeah, I think I don't think I heard it more than once or twice this year. But uh, I sure heard Mariah Carey enough. Oh, I heard a lot of that. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of Feliz Navidad, which oh, uh, I like, but that, I'm totally sick of. That, yeah, that they can't play enough. And, they literally uh, can't play that. Little Saint Nick. Yep. yep. And, of course, uh, Dean Martin and It's Cold Outside. <laughs> that's, a, that's another one they play. Some of them aren't even Christmas songs, like My Favorite Things or something. Right, exactly. 
December 20th this week, and uh, Christmas is coming up in just five days. Frankie, how's your shopping coming along? Oh, it's it's going great, like usual. Have I'm, you, I'm totally behind. <laughs> have you asked for anything <laughs> special under your tree, uh, an album by Led Zeppelin? Oh, no, that would have been in the 70s. That's but still, right. Wouldn't it be fun to find uh, something like that under your tree now, maybe a deluxe version of something? Absolutely. It'd be fun. We have our top five rockin' songs. We've gone over our top ten, actually, from ten until six last week. Now, five up to one. And, Frankie, you're going to start. What is your number five rockin' Christmas tune? Well, number five, um, by a gentleman by the name of Billy Squire. You might remember him from the 70s, 80s. uh, Robert Palmer, the Robert Plant sound alike. Absolutely. I had a song uh, that that he actually wrote as a brand new song, Christmas is the Time to Say I Love You. Mm -hmm. Good tune. Um, it was uh, written by him, and when MTV invited him to play in studio, um, it turned into a sing-along with all the MTV staff. Um, Martha Quinn calls it her favorite MTV moment. So, really, you know, I'll go with that. Number four, uh, 12 Days of Christmas" by a group called Straight No Chaser. Yeah, which is actually a college group. It's a mashup of Carol the Bells. Here We Come Wassling, Deck the Halls, The Dreidel Song, and mm-hmm. Toto's Africa. Oh, I, I know that song, yeah. And yeah. Uh, it's hilarious. Once uh, you mentioned Africa, I knew what you were talking about. Absolutely. Wonderful song that yeah. uh, I, I look forward to hearing every Christmas season. Sure. Next one, Peace on Earth, Little Drummer Boy by the odd couple <laughs> of Bing Crosby and David Bowie. And where do you start with this one? But Bowie actually, actually was supposed to sing a duet of Little Drummer Boy with Bing, but he hated the song and asked if there was anything else he could sing. The show's musical supervisor wrote, now he get this, he wrote Peace on Earth as a counterpoint in less than an hour. Oh, And they recorded it the same day. Now, isn't that incredible? The guy sat down, wrote it, and he recorded it the same day. And and Bowie, of course, loved it enough that he put it on... You know, on the show. Yeah, so. absolutely. And it became a classic, you know, yeah. a Christmas classic. Well, you got to call that up on YouTube, as I do every year. That's such a, a fun thing to watch. The Now, Bing was a very um, welcoming person on camera. You know, he made people feel at home, but they still didn't quite know who each other was. Well, and, yeah, the conservative Bing, Bing Crosby. Crosby. and Just months well, before his death. You, you know? couldn't have possibly gotten more off the off the rails back yeah. then. Than David Bowie. And I guess they were supposed to do an updated version before David's death a few years ago with David Bowie playing the older The old man? man? Maybe okay. a Justin Bieber or somebody that he may not have recognized, a her or somebody like that. Sure. Would have been interesting to see that. That absolutely was. And I wonder what song he would have sung. Yeah. Interesting. Would he be been okay at the time with Little Drummer Boy? <laughs> I or don't maybe know. maybe something else completely different. Exactly. Uh, number two on my list um, is one we have talked about before, um, Happy Christmas War is Over by John and Yoko. Um, and we mentioned this with having to do with his death mm. when they played this uh, on that same night that yep. he passed away. It's the one that brought me to tears. Yeah, and such a tearjerker. It when still does uh, to this day and just love that song. And then finally, uh, on the bright side of things, Santa Claus is Coming to Town Clarence, by... you've been, you've been good and... Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band. I love that line. The wind whipping down the boardwalk, Clarence getting a new sax, uh, and Bruce cracking up because of Clarence's ho ho hos. Yeah. Um, it absolutely just screams an E Street Christmas. That's a great song. Oh, I love it that is. song. I, I never get tired of it. 
My top five, Gabriel, Gabriel's Message, Sting. It comes from the very special Christmas, the first one they released in 1987. You know, that's a quadruple platinum album produced by Jimmy Iovine. Wow. So uh, it featured a lot of great tunes. The Gabriel's Message, I kind of like the one better by Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Okay. <laughs> um, but for a rockin' song, Sting hits the mark there with, uh, it's only like two minutes and 48 seconds or something like that. It's a great, great song. It's that the one with the red album cover, if you're going to be calling that up. Sure. Very special Christmas. I think they had three, maybe four versions of volumes of it. Number four is Jim Croce. It doesn't have to be that way. I love that song. You don't hear it very often, but it uh, evokes memories song. of Christmas. Yeah, it snowy sure nights and Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't hit yeah. you over the head with right. Christmas. Exactly. Right. It doesn't take too long either. Kind of like Gabriel's message. These Christmas songs I like because they're short. Yeah, Trans Siberian Orchestra. Maybe not so short. And one of the <laughs> favorites of classic rock stations, but I really like it. Christmas Eve, Sarajevo, twelve twenty-four. I haven't seen the show. Trans-Siberian Orchestra's Christmas show. I've never seen that Only because it seems to Cle- in Cleveland to come around after Christmas, and I'm not in the mood at that point. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, they've come around for many years, and I guess it's a great show. Never really had that much interest in it, but I, I do like the song. I do remember seeing them on Beethoven's Last Night. They did have that show. There was a exceedingly long first act, okay. like an hour and a half. And I had a cold that night, and the lights were shining right in my eyes. I couldn't stop sneezing. And, oh, jeez. You know, but I really enjoyed the show from what I remember of it, but I have not seen the Christmas show. Maybe someday I will. 2,000 Miles by Pretenders, written by Chrissy Hind, one of my favorite of all time, mm-hmm. produced by Chris Thomas for James Honeyman Scott. It was written, the bandmate, the original guitarist, you know, he died, passed away a year earlier. I love that song. 2,000 Miles by Pretenders, another one you don't hear very often. Yeah, and that's an incredible song, and I agree with you. You don't hear it near enough. Greg Lake is number one. It's always been my, my favorite. I believe in Father Christmas. Now, I know Merry Christmas, Darling, could have been in there, but for our purposes, for the rockin' Christmas, I just can't quite get Carpenters in there. Maybe they would have been 11 or 12 in our countdown. Gotcha. I believe in Father Christmas was not really intended to be a Christmas song by Greg, but was and still is a, a favorite of the holiday season. And again, not one you hear very often unless a DJ can sneak it in. Definitely. Uh, it comes uh, on a couple of different albums. The Works Volume 2 is kind of a toned down, uh, not as orchestrated from 1977. Yeah, it's a, definitely a different version than the one you hear yeah. usually on the radio. The, which is more of a Phil Spector type of song exactly. with the choir in the background. So those are my top five rockin' Christmas songs. Frankie and I continued one of our favorite categories, Download Discovery. Sometime in the very near future, we're going to be featuring, as our featured artist, Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham, the time they were together before Fleetwood Mac, and then maybe a little bit of Fleetwood Mac stuff, and then afterwards, each of their solo careers. We're going to kind of trace. Stevie had more commercial success. Absolutely. But Lindsey, if you want to see a good show, I've never got a chance to see him. I I wanted to go, but it was on the night of a Browns game or something in November, kind of Sunday. Oh, you can't have that. No, I couldn't go. So... (laughs) But I do have the CD called Gift of Screws. It was out in 2008. He's released a CD almost every year up until a couple of years ago. A couple of really good tunes on the album, Underground, The Right Place to Fade, and Bel Air Rain. They're all great songs. He's such a great guitarist, Frankie. Mm -hmm. The songs were recorded over a five-year span between 95 and 2000. Some of the cuts performed during their The Dance, you know, that Fleetwood Mac live show. Sure. And features some con- contributions from then bandmates Christine McVie and Mick Jagger, 
and John McVie. Now, if you ever get the chance to see him, he's really good. I, I haven't, though, but maybe someday. I've heard that he is a revelation on the guitar mm-hmm. when you see him live. Now, that, I obviously, I can't. I've never seen him, but uh, I, again, I would love to also. You know, he doesn't use a pick to play guitar. Just That's right. fingernails. This was a good one, Frankie. <laughs> the best and worst album covers. Oh, I love that. It was really a lot of fun to do. I like the worst album covers. The same Rod Stewart <laughs> was in all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or Black Sabbath, but we'll bring that category back one way or another. I like that. Yeah, because there's, you know, you, you really don't run out of worst and best. You can always find a few. <laughs> all right, Frankie, we've gone through our years 1967 to 82 and our best album covers. You have Sure. A, a bad one last week from ELP. This time around, it's uh, one that we know the group, but we may not be too familiar with the album cover. This week's worst album cover is? A group called Orleans, and they're really, what was a hit record for them, Waking and Dreaming. Look this one up and tell me why any group would release an album with this cover. Yes, it's what you get here is five naked guys hugging, mm. basically. Uh, mm-hmm. This photo appears to be been taken a few seconds or so before a full-blown all-dude orgy. Oh, God. Um, the truth is that it was not the group's idea. Yes, it was the record company's idea of making some kind of sexy, controversial statement that failed miserably. Here's the segment we've had right from the very beginning, and as I've been saying all along, we're not going to run out of these anytime soon. One-Hit Wonders. Okay, Frank, you've got a couple of great one-hit wonders. Bobby Caldwell's first from 1979, early in the year, hit number nine, called What You Won't Do for Love. Yeah, that was a good one, yeah. Follow-up song, Coming Down from Love, just missed the top 40, peaking at 42 that spring. It was covered by the group Go West, What You Don't Won't Do for Love in the late 80s. We again played that on Q104. It's a good tune, a little upbeat number. Of course. Best instrumentals, too, not just from the 60s or 70s, but we've dug some, dug some good ones up from the 80s and even the 90s, haven't we? Absolutely, and going all the way back to the 50s, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. His song is called Heather, and it's from their fifth album from the Carpenters, Now and Then. It's the one where they're driving that red sports car by their old house in 1973. It featured the hits, which you know, Sing, and Yesterday Once More, written by Johnny Pearson. Now, the song written by Johnny, he was a British composer who led the orchestra on Tops of the Pops for 16 years. Oh, really? It's a really, really nice song. It's only 2 minutes and 46 seconds. Beautiful little number, played by Richard Carpenter, and so... You know, he was really stretching his legs on this album, Frankie. It's a bit instrumental. It's a bit experimental in nature because mm-hmm. the Carpenters, you know, wanted to have some fun, and they did. The album featured a medley of side two of oldies, not the side that Heather is on, but the other one where Yesterday Once More, and they have songs like Fun, 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 and that song, Heather, is really, I love that song. It's a lovely song. If you like to download it, I highly recommend it. So that's uh, this week's uh, Best Instrumental category. The instrumental um, was a really big part of the surveys back in the day. Not so much anymore. I don't hear very many of them at all now. But boy, back in the day, there were a lot of them. You could say it was instrumental. (laughs) Frankie and I, of course, had a great time talking about our featured artists throughout season four. We started talking about solo artists from big bands. Not not big bands like... uh, Benny Goodman or Tommy Dorsey or Glenn Miller, but bands like The Beatles and Cream. 
We'll be talking more about solo artists as we move into Season 5, but our featured artist to begin Season 4 was Sir Paul McCartney. He released five classical musical albums in the 90s and later. I didn't realize that. Dozens of movies, mostly appearing as himself in documentaries. He's performed on Saturday Night Live, The Simpsons, The Concert for New York City, Live Aid, dozens of tours as well. His latest Freshen Up tour was scheduled for 2018 and 19, then COVID kind of got in the way. 39 shows were performed worldwide. He did not have uh, any here, but the tour was interrupted. Uh, Usually... The, the set list typically featured 35 songs. Good glory. Oh. Now, Paul, he's just celebrated his 79th birthday, and I'll bet you he goes on tour again, don't you think? It wouldn't surprise me. Uh, I don't know how they do it. Uh, we were talking about that before, how some of these older artists uh, can, can do it, but uh, if anybody can, it'll be him. It takes a lot of energy, including Boy, that's for sure. the four songs on the encore list, generally speaking, when he's on tour, Helter Skelter, Sgt. Pepper's, Yesterday, and Birthday, wrapping, wow. wrapping up with Golden Slumbers, Cure That Weight, and The End. Wow. Then we had John Lennon. But by the time he came back from filming, he wanted to do something totally different. He said, I got tired of writing pop music. Well, and I think that, you know, just think how how much time they'd spent together. You oh, know, yeah. those early years, we, we you don't talk about them very much, but the early years they spent uh, not only in England, but in Hamburg and uh, a lot of places in Europe, just honing their craft. Well, they got together, the three of them, and the quarrymen, he and Paul and George, Stuart Sutcliffe, Phil Best, and right. Ringo, they got together in the late 50s. They played it, everywhere and did everything. Exactly. And then, they were always together. They were together. and. They were really 24-7, inseparable. The Fab Four, you could just tell, it just wore on them. He didn't want to do it anymore. That's right. And wanted to do something else. And so, sure enough, out came Revolver and Sgt. Peppers, and off they went into a whole new direction, didn't exactly. they? Exactly. George Harrison. If George Harrison is your third best songwriter, yeah. you've got something going. Something special. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I think that's really uh, one of the things that made the Beatles who they were, is that they had... That extra voice that could chime in and do something just a little bit different than the other guys are doing. Ringo Starr. Just think of what great music you mm-hmm. would have had. It would have been like the Beatles in the early 70s. Yeah, and a lot of the guys still work together. They collaborated, not all four. Sure. And that would have been great to see it. That's the only thing that we didn't get to see in the next decade before John's death was all four of them together on stage or in an album in a recording studio. But we did see two or even three of them at a time. Absolutely, we? yeah. Yeah, it would have been really interesting to, to see what they would have done. Nowadays, with all the money, with Hulu and Amazon, they might have gotten the right price to do a one-night-only thing, even a benefit concert or something. Yeah, I would have thought that with those guys, it probably would have been not for their own gain, but something like you said, like yeah. a benefit concert for, you know, USA for Africa. Live Aid. Something like, like that, Zeppelin sure. got back together. Absolutely. I could have seen that maybe in the 80s as, as they aged and, you know, people, they weren't putting out as much new music, but it would have been... That's the only thing I really wish I could have seen or heard was stuff by all totally. four of them. Yeah, I think that, everybody wanted that. That absolutely would have been fun. One of the women I think should definitely get into the Rock Hall of Fame, and Frankie feels the same way too, Pat Benatar. Yeah, and it's funny because they they talk about um, you know fairness as far as sexism and that kind of thing. Yeah. Yet in the last two weeks, you've made arguments for, you know, yeah. for great bands like the Bangles and uh, now uh, Pat, Pat Benatar, Benatar, you know, 
why aren't these people in? I mean, they've got they sold records. Yep. They're well thought of. I, I don't understand. Same goes for Shaka Khan, mm-hmm. seven-time nominee. She should be in as well. There are a lot of artists. I'm glad we're doing the two should get in category. Not that the Rock Hall powers that be are listening, but maybe they are. Who knows? Exactly. Um, <laughs> there are a lot of groups that still need that that call from the Rock Hall, not just to be nominated, but also to get in. And Pat Benatar's sure. time has come, I think. I think so, too. Maybe because she acted in an ABC after-school special. Remember those? It used to be on like 3.30. I absolutely and remember them. Torn Between Two Fathers came out in 1989. Wow. We continued our category of bands we wanted to hear more from, and first up, the Bachman-Turner Overdrive. And finally, Mercury Records gave them a shot. They said, you know what, we'll, we like your music, we'll give you a record deal, which was good because nobody else said yes to them. Exactly. They wanted to have a name that was kind of like Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. That was their name, a proprietary type of thing. So Randy Bachman and uh, C.F. Turner, that's how they got Bachman-Turner. Exactly. The Overdrive. Of course. So they had some really good albums, didn't they? Yeah. I very much enjoyed uh, a lot of their their material. And, you know, I don't know what happened with the whole Guess Who thing, but uh, he finally, when he finally got going, he put out some really great stuff. So a lot of times we wonder where groups would have gone in the next decade. I could see where Guess Who would have ended up going in the 70s, perhaps. And actually they did with Bachman Turner Overdrive. Uh, they had two albums released in 1973, uh, Bachman Turner Drive and two. Uh, Bachman Turner Drive 2 featured Let It Ride and Taking Care of Business. Yeah, that's when they kind of blew open. Yeah, yep. they did. And that was early 74 with Let It Ride. Great tune that kind of hit the charts out of nowhere, and you knew it was going to be a big hit. That was when Band on the Run was out in mm-hmm. early 74, the spring, late March, right in there. Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce, Imagine If Cream had stayed together. Yeah. I I hate to think about it, but some of these bands were just so loaded with players that they just couldn't get, they just didn't have the, I don't know, what do you want to call it? Yeah, the, maybe they didn't mesh. Stain, Who knows? Exactly, the stain power. Yeah. yeah. And maybe some guys like Eric Clapton, you just had a feeling as you went through some of these groups, he was itching to get out on his own or maybe just work with uh, somebody here and there and, and move on. Like a lot of groups, especially jazz groups, it seems, like to kind of change up their lineup and Absolutely. Not, be, not be with the same people all the time. Fresh Cream was released in December of 1966, another perfect time, wasn't it? Produced yep. by Robert Stigwood, who would go on to produce <laughs> the Bee Gees and, you know, all those great That's albums. That's right. The Doobie Brothers. So the Doobie Brothers came out in 1971 with that self-titled album. It didn't do much on the charts. Toulouse Street, 72, had listened mm-hmm. to the music. Rockin' Down the Highway, which is still one of my favorites. Yep. Jesus, Just All Right, number 21 in the U.S. album charts. Produced by Ted Templeman, who was their longtime producer for Warner Brothers. And right. He also found another group called Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> did very well they didn't him. do too bad, did you they? No, he also produced uh, Tupelo Honey by Van Morrison, uh, some from Sammy Hagar and Nicolette Larson. That's something, you know, Michael McDonald would like to work with other artists, didn't he? Christopher right. Cross, Nicolette, uh, he was not shy about doing something like that. The Captain and Me in 1973, Long Train Running. China Grove, I went to Ohio U, and oh, yeah. the band loves playing those songs, mm-hmm. don't they? South City Midnight Lady is still one of my favorites. That's, that was number seven, the album Absolutely. was, the U.S. chart. So they were gaining steam as we moved toward the 1974 album, 
what were once vices are now habits. That's where another park, another Sunday comes from, and and Blackwater. And Blackwater, yeah. yeah. Poco, one of the very first Southern rock, Southern folk bands. So Poco picked up where Buffalo Springfield would leave off, and a nice compliment to the work of Crosby, Stalls, Nash & Young, I thought. Yeah, exactly. They released over 20 albums, Frankie. I didn't realize that Me there either. were that a, a, uh, many. A boatload of compilation albums, lots of uh, live albums, almost a dozen live albums, and they are terrific in concert. As okay. I said, the, the show is sold out. It's fantastic. Great entertainers. The Alan Parsons Project. What a career he's had. Alan Parsons Project had these hit songs. Wouldn't Want to Be Like You, Damned If I Do, Games People Play, Time, Snake Eyes, Old and Wise, which was sung by former Zombies member Colin Bloodstone, mm-hmm. Eye in the Sky, which is overplayed, but I still I still like it. Psycho Babble, great tune. Yeah. Don't Answer Me, Prime Time, You Won't Believe, or You Don't Believe, rather, in Days or Numbers. So those are all good tunes by Alan Parsons, and Eric Wolfson does not sing lead on all of them either, which is nice. There you go. And one of my favorite songs uh, just doesn't sound like anybody. It certainly doesn't sound like Alan Parsons, but The Show Must Go On, mm-hmm. on iRobot. It's just a gorgeous song. Foreigner. Then I think you can kind of tell where Lou Graham wanted to take the band, kind of like Pizza Tira with Chicago, maybe introspective, a little more ballad stuff. I Want to Know What Love Is was a number one hit in 1984, also number one in seven other countries. That came from Agent Provocateur. Wow. That, that was, was Yesterday, huge. which is a really good foreigner song. Right. Say You Will from uh, the Inside Information album in 1987. And I Don't Want to Live Without You, that was 1985, uh, that was a number five song, rather, in, in 1987. So, you know, some good stuff coming from Foreigner. I think they lasted as long as, you know, a group like that should, 10 years, 12 exactly. years, right in there. What do you think? I agree. Yeah. I... Give Me Shelter, that Altamont Speedway concert uh, in December of 1969. Frank had a lot to say about that. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young had a short set. It was only like six songs. And then there was a big gap because uh, Grateful Dead wasn't there to play. And, of course, the Rolling Stones were stupid enough to try to wait till sunset, which was not a good idea either. It's a recipe for disaster. Yep. He uh, attracted approximately 300,000 fans, which was good, to the Altamont Speedway, which is close to San Francisco. Rolling Stone magazine subsequently called this Rock and Roll's All-Time Worst Day, a day when everything went Wrong. Exactly. Why did the Stones and the Dead, why did, they, why did they want to do a concert at that point? I I think the whole thing uh, was because the Stones had missed out on Woodstock. And, of course, we all know that Woodstock was just the grooviest thing that ever was. Oh, of course. Everybody got along great and everything went well. And I think that the Grateful Dead decided that they kind of wanted to show the Stones what America was like, you know, that we were... What the kind of hippie culture was like, what was going on then, and what better place to do that than outside of San Francisco, which was the center still of mm-hmm. the kind of the uh, counterculture at that time. Yeah, Summer of Love, a couple of years earlier. This happened exactly. in December of 1969. Um, I heard that the Rolling Stones fans were getting upset because the Stones were starting to charge more and more for their concerts. So didn't the Stones say, okay, we'll just do it for free then? More bands we wanted to hear more from, Badfinger, the Welsh band known originally as the Ivies, then known as Badfinger. That's right. One of those bands we thought were maybe the Beatles. They were on the Apple label, which probably led to their undoing, their demise, even though they were signed to Warner Brothers later on and had a, a nice record deal with them. 
you know, they had a lot of influence from the Beatles. George Harrison, Paul McCartney helped them out. And they Absolutely. recorded five albums for the label and toured extensively until they were caught up in all those legal issues among... That's right. And not only them, but a lot of other groups. Uh, James Taylor was originally signed, then he got out, went to Warner Brothers, which is what Badfinger wound up doing. Uh, but the, even the Beatles got all embroiled in those legal issues. Oh, absolutely. It, yeah. You've said many times as a corporation, they were mm-hmm. dealing with the Beatles. That's right. Pete Ham, Mike Gibbons, Joey Molland, and Tom Evans, who co-wrote the number one hit Without You by Nielsen in early 1972. Then later on, Bob Jackson joined the band. Great hits, great singles, No Matter What, Baby Blue, Come and Get It, and Day After Day, produced by George. And Leon Russell played piano on that. And finally, Stevie Wonder closed out season four. And he took uh, 75 off. Um, And, of course, famous Paul Simon quote was, the he won, still crazy after all these years, he won the Grammy and he thanked uh, Stevie Wonder for not putting out a record that right. year. <laughs> <laughs> but Elton John put out two. Intervisions, of course. Songs in the Key of Life was just fantastic. It spent 11 weeks at number one, holding off A Night in the Town, um, Soaked Degrees, Song Remains the Same, mm. second best-selling album of 1977, second okay. best to only rumors which makes perfect sense yeah that does it's number four songs in the key of life is on the rolling stone magazine's greatest 500 albums of all time from our list that came out just a couple years ago and they're changing their list all the time they're always changing it but certainly i think on just about anybody's list it would certainly find its way into the top 20 let's say absolutely We certainly hope you enjoyed our highlight package of Season 4. Season 5 begins next week as we feature John Mellencamp. And then we'll have a lot of other surprises coming away as well. For Frank Ost, I'm Tim Friedman. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.